So you're gonna cry again today? What? I don't, I don't know, I don't think so. I mean, sometimes I'm sharing things that are really meaningful to me and I look out at the people that are really meaningful to me and you know, I, it kind of gets me. Yeah, but no more. The Mennonite church destroyed my home faith community type tears. Yeah, no, no. We're moving forward in time and talking about Milwaukee Mennonite, which is really happy, important stuff to me. So just to recap for Jens, uh, and for anybody who wasn't here two weeks ago, this guy is doing a two-part reflection, kind of like the Fantastic Four films. Nothing like that. And today's the second part. Yes, that is true. The first part was all about his experience with the Mennonite Church and another conference and how he had some diff, tough experiences but found inspiration from so many Mennonites who continued to stay standing in difficult spaces and refusing to leave, working to help our church grow and follow in God in love. Yes. Wow, well said, Tuttle. Now this week, I'm going to talk about my performance glory days and then the difficult years in Greg's basement. <laughs> no, no, sorry. We're still talking about my experiences with church. I was afraid of that. Well, like I mentioned last time, since those early days in, back in Lancaster, I've served on many church committees and found ways of supporting and affirming the work of many others. And I've felt good about what I could do. When we moved to Milwaukee, uh, both Rachel and I were impressed with this lay-led group of believers. And we found ways that we felt like we can plug in and contribute and also be supported by this church family. Like three straight weeks of H. Scott reflections? Yeah, that was unintentional. Again, good incentive to sign up for sermon slots, people. Anyway, several years ago, as I felt like I had a little more time to give, I started a documentation process at Milwaukee Mennonite. Okay, what? I think everybody's heard about this like for a million times. Yeah, but there are some new people here that might not know about it. Seriously? Yeah. Fine. He did this interview thing with a bunch of people from Milwaukee Mennonite. Not everybody, but a lot of people. And the first part, he focused on the history of Mennonites in Milwaukee. Yeah, including the first Milwaukee Mennonite church that was started about seven decades ago, and who we have a couple people who were a part of that church family with us today. Yeah, Lisa and Ray. It was started as a church plant by Lisa's grandparents. But anyway, he also looked at the history of this Milwaukee Mennonite. Started something like 16, 17 years ago. And then he interviewed people about what they thought of Milwaukee Mennonite today. Well, today back in 2019. Yeah. And a lot of the interviews were either video or audio taped. And then I edited things to create an overview for the congregation uh, of what I had heard. It's all online if you'd like to watch it or watch it again. Oh, I'm pretty confident they don't. <laughs> anyway, it's available. And then he was working on what people thought of the future of Milwaukee Mennonite when COVID hit. 
yeah, that kind of shut the project down. That changed so many things. Yeah, but as I considered how I walked alongside others in the COVID era, I found there were other ways I could still connect, even if it was more virtually. Zooms and emails and texts and outdoor coffee. And, and it was during those early days of the pandemic that I really began to understand what a resource our conference, Central District Conference, truly is. Wait a minute. Hadn't you already served for like four years on the conference gifts discernment committee? Yeah, I didn't know many people in the conference, but I could ask them if they'd be willing to serve. And you only began to see the conference as a good resource after the pandemic hit? Okay, well, maybe it's better to say that I understood what it had to offer us in a new way. Mm. Anyway, I, I started attending the pastor peer Zoom once a month. And in those first few months of the pandemic, those Zooms were more like weekly as pastors from around the conference met to meet to hear what other churches were doing and what resources our conference pastor, Doug Luganville, might have as things shifted to virtual spaces and people scrambled. So it was a bunch of pastors and you. Yeah, that felt and still feels a little weird. I got to be a fly on the wall in those virtual spaces, but it also was really helpful to hear what they were thinking about and doing, especially since we are a lay-led group and don't have that kind of leadership. It was, it was really good to hear and still is really helpful to hear what Mennonite pastors from so many different backgrounds have to share on so many different topics and areas of church life. Interesting people, huh? Oh, yeah, that we could learn so much from. Like uh, from like Elena Dobkowski, a young mom and relatively recent, one of the recent founders of Grand Rapids Mennonite Fellowship, who's helping her faith community figure out what this new community of predominantly young families is going to be for each other and the community around them. Or Trevor Bechtel of Shalom Mennonite in Ann Arbor, who has been walking with their congregation through a multi-year process of reading, talking, and discerning and finally doing a reparative act, raising funds and then giving up control of what is done with them. What, like just throwing money out the window of a car or something? No, no. John Powell, who has served and walked with and challenged the Mennonite Church for so many decades, since the early days of the Civil Rights era, is a member of their church. He actually called for something like this back in the 60s, every Mennonite church giving a certain amount per congregant to a fund that would be for black and brown people within the church. It was actually passed by the Mennonite church and then quickly dismantled before it could fully come to fruition. Sounds about right. Yeah, oh. So all these years later, John is still involved and active in the Mennonite church and his congregation, Grand Rapids Mennonite Fellowship, and this congregation decided to raise funds and then give them to him and a group of his choosing to see, do as he sees fit. Trevor is very clear that this isn't all they need to do, but it is one important act they can do to pursue racial equality. How much have they raised? Uh, about $95,000. Wow. And that's just one example. There are so many people doing so many varied, important, powerful things to challenge societal and political structures to bring hope and healing to those that have little to be a witness to each other and to the world around them. From Chapel Hill Mennonite Fellowship or Columbus Mennonite, 
physically housing undocumented immigrants in their church buildings to several faith-based organizations that have sprung out of conference churches focused on helping people out of the penal system or supporting local immigrants or other profound and specific ministries. And that's not to mention just the great theological conversations and questions that are going on in our conference about what is ours to do and be as a people of peace, as a people of privilege, as a people following Christ. I always leave those pastor peer experiences challenged and excited. Sounds a little different than the pastor peer conference meetings you shared last time. Right? Yeah. In that sense, just being able to be in those spaces has felt really healing and positive after the experiences I shared last time. And engaging and listening to these pastors has also helped me consider the ways we benefit from not having one. What do you mean? Well, there are definitely great things we can do and be because we don't have a paid pastoral presence. And it also has helped me recognize the challenges that creates, like having some random dude up front with a puppet for the first Sunday of Lent. Well, for example, as soon as the pandemic hit, every pastor reported a huge drop in church involvement and a lack of willingness from people to do things and give up themselves in different ways. It's just one of the realities of the pandemic for many reasons. And we experienced some of that too, but what that looks like is very different between a church that has a paid person who keeps things running, whether others participate or not, versus a church family like ours that keeps trying to do church despite those same dynamics. Are you trying to make people feel bad about what they have or don't have to offer church? No. No, not at all. Just the opposite. Considering that reality, it's really impressive that we have managed to keep worshiping, keep being community to each other through this time, however that has looked. Everybody has experienced this time in different ways, with different challenges, and I think it's really important that we name that and consider what that means or doesn't mean as we move ahead. Well, now that just sounds like some church doublespeak to me. How else do I say that? I don't know, I just call it like I see it. Well, sometimes things sound a certain way that you don't like, but it doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah, whatever. Go on, you're doing church, you're doing the conference thing, what's left to say? Well, like I said, since those traumatic church experiences two decades ago, I've been finding ways to walk alongside and feel good about that. But I also have very conscientiously avoided direct church positions of authority or power, both based on my experiences and as a straight white male, I have felt more comfortable supporting others in those roles and being an advocate, an ally for growth and change and love for all. Again, with a church speak. Okay, that's my experience. Okay. So agreeing to serve on our church leadership team was an intentional profound shift for me from what I have felt comfortable doing to what felt like was the right thing to do at this time with this church family. Okay, you make that sound like kind of a big deal, but it's not that big a deal, is it? I mean, 
you've talked about this church being very flat, like decisions and leadership is, is really pretty much everybody deciding things together. That is true. And it's one of the reasons I felt like I could do this, especially with the wonderful people that I get to do it with, Stevers and Lisa, and a community that I trust. Obviously, good leadership of any kind needs trust, and this is an extremely loving, trusting community in which leadership is more helping guide conversations than making decisions, and yet, and yet that's still not easy. When you constantly don't trust the position or oneself in that position because of prior experiences in a very different setting. Yeah, sounds like you just need to get over yourself. Maybe, but I think that wariness is important too. And it's a part of who I am and what I bring to our church family. Each of us brings our experiences and doubts and questions to this faith community. And in doing that and being honest about that, we can learn and grow together. It may take more time, but I believe it's this kind of sharing and listening and then discerning that will help us grow into what God would have us do and be for ourselves, for each other, for the communities that we're a part of. So, boiling down your long-winded babbling, mm -hmm. sharing and listening to what you each bring will help you discern what yins want to do and who yins want to be? Yeah, our scripture today is Jesus in the wilderness. Oh, <laughs> again with the working in scripture, huh? Well, again, it fits really well with what we're talking about. Like Milwaukee Mennonite is in the wilderness. Maybe in some ways. I mean, if nothing else, just having been through two years of pandemic, or, or maybe individually in one's own life experience, there are ways in which people feel like they are in the wilderness. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Mm -hmm. When we hear this story about Jesus being tempted, often I think it's easy to think about some devil with a pitchfork trying to win over Jesus. At least that's what I feel like I've often heard before. Or maybe the devil's got a handlebar mustache and begins every sentence with, Nyah-uh-uh. But Jesus should be our focus here. The focus should be Jesus discerning what he is to do and be and what he should not do or be. It's not about the tempter, but about being tempted by things that make sense. Temptations that make sense. And they're all scripturally based. Exactly. He's tempted by comfort with food. He's tempted with power. Take over the world and things will be better. The ends justify the means. And he's tempted with survival. All the things and ways people will adjust their stances and opinions and actions just to survive. Just worship something other than God, right? It's so easy to do. And churches are pretty good at that too, aren't they? Yes. Yes, survival is one of the greatest temptations for congregations and church institutions. And I have personally experienced both of these ceasing to exist. And while that loss hurts, I can also see how life and death are an important part of all human processes. And what can come after the death of a faith community can be fertile soil for new things, new growth, 
And for those of us that remember, we can serve as reminders of Christian of Mennonite, hubris. We can hold a mirror up to our new faith communities to try and keep us from making the same mistakes again. So you think you're holding up a mirror in some ways where I can in having lived through the death of a faith community and organization, I now refuse to operate out of fear or worry or preservation and only out of love. Well, that's a heady statement. Maybe, but it's why I suggest we reevaluate things after this really dramatic and different time of COVID. We've seen what it has meant for each of us and us as a community. So going forward... What do we want to change or let go about ourselves? And what do we want to focus on and hold on to? And I think it's really important that we do that for every part of who we are. Well, that's very Lenten of you. Yeah, I suppose this is the right time to begin to consider these kinds of questions. Heavy Lenten sentiments. I don't think this needs to really feel that heavy, We have each other and the Holy Spirit with us as we make our way through the wilderness. Yeah, but being in the wilderness ain't easy, is it? It's not a comfortable place to be, is it? No, you're right, it's not. But I think it's really important to recognize that the Holy Spirit is the one that leads Jesus into the wilderness. It's not like he's tempted into this situation. It's where he is supposed to be. I think that's really important to remember. The wilderness can be an important place to visit, even for an uncomfortably long time, like 40 days, exactly, or like the Israelites for 40 years. Eh, that's more than a visit. Well, I guess it depends on what you're talking about, what your perspective is. Like the wilderness, that is the cold, dark, dank confines of a plastic bag in Craig's basement. (laughs) Or, like a society that was based on slave labor and exploiting the land and other peoples, has continued to find ways of perpetuating iniquities and biases and has yet to deal with its past in any really meaningful way. (sighs) Craig's basement isn't looking too bad. So, so often we consider Lenten to, Lent to be this very heavy time to ponder, but I think we forget two things. What's that? One, that Sundays aren't part of the 40 days of Lent. What? No, the, the Sundays are our breaks from Lent to celebrate and acknowledge that we, what we already know, the resurrection is coming. Oh, well, that feels a little bit different. Yeah, and two, we dwell on the hard part what we're giving up. It's like focusing on the devil in this passage. When the focus is on Christ, we forget that there is freedom and liberation in this letting go. Letting go of whatever you need to let go? Yeah. So, to name one personal example that I already shared, letting go of my desire to stay at arm's length from any formal church leadership and trusting God, the Holy Spirit, and my siblings in Christ to hold me accountable and give me grace as I try to serve in this way. You're weird, and you're not, touche. No, but that's just one way. I've needed to let go of what I've felt comfortable with. 
But there are so many ways that we as individuals and we as a faith community can live into our future by simply letting go. And in doing that, we will find God's generosity. So God will be generous with us. Well, God is always generous with us. God is always there with us. But hopefully we will be able to be more generous, God's hands and heart in this world. Okay, I don't feel like you're going to say anything better than that, so why don't you just pull a George Costanza and try to go out on top? (laughs) This isn't a Seinfeld episode, but you're going on as long as one, George. Okay, just because I'm bald and have glasses doesn't mean I'm a neurotic. Okay, as you begin this Lenten season, yes. What are you holding on to tightly that you can let go of now? And how are you free to be generous? Right, yes. And what can we as a faith community let go of now, freeing us to be generous? So are we done here? Yeah. You know, I heard Chris is writing a book. Yeah, he is. He's working on revisions to his dissertation this spring. I got a book uh, I wrote about my time in Greg's basement. Oh, really? I'm hoping it gets on some best sellers lists. Get it? Cellar, basement. That's worthy of getting stuck back in a plastic bag. Go ahead, do your worst, but the people will know. Tuttle is always here for you. I'm always available. I'm always on hand. Because I'm a puppet on hand? Nope. Well, maybe if you were a puppet, you'd have felt differently because I made a felt. Okay, you really need to stop. Why? My jokes are like pencil with erasers at both ends. Because you definitely can't draw any conclusions? Well, that's true. They also have no point. Okay. Happy Lent 2022, Tuttleat! How's that for an ending? Uh,